the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Welcome to the Lloyd's List Podcast. I'm Richard Mead, editor of Lloyd's List. It's day three of London International Shipping Week and the third in our special series of podcasts from around the event. Today we're focusing on climate science and the regulatory and financial implications for shipping. Shipping emissions targets need to be brought forward one generation earlier than expected in order to meet world climate change goals. That implies that freight rates are going to need to double in order to fund that transition. Or at least that's certainly what we've heard on the sidelines of the International Chamber of Shipping Conference today in London. Joining me to discuss how the industry grapples with this seismic shift, I have a very special panel of experts for you. Um, we have with us today Lord Adair Turner, uh, who's chair of the Energy Transitions Commission, uh, Baroness Bryony Worthington, executive director of the Environmental Defence Fund and former podcast star, and Grimaldi Group Managing Director Emmanuel Grimaldi. Um, we're here at the International Chamber of Shipping's uh, conference uh, during London Shipping Week, and uh, it's been a fascinating discussion between uh, the three of you in terms of really the distance that the shipping industry has to go between here and 2050. Um, some opposing views, but I, I think um, a unanimity in the sense that the industry has a lot of hurdles to uh, to, to get over before it can reduce, even by the uh, the set 50%. Um, well, Turner, you're suggesting we need to be uh, close to 100% and a lot quicker than we're aiming for right now. Why, why do you think that is possible? Give us the, uh, the quick overview. Well, I think it's necessary because I think if we look at the climate science and uh, the UN General Secretary has said this, Secretary General has said this, you know, you know, things are changing faster even than the climate scientists suggest and to avoid really potentially catastrophic climate change, the whole world in all of its sectors should be aiming to build a zero carbon economy sometime around mid-century. Now, we think that that is possible in all sectors of the economy, including shipping. There are things that one can do on the energy efficiency side which you know will make a major difference but they'll all they'll do is offset the inevitable growth of shipping but there are also new technologies available whether at the short distance they be electricity battery electric or hydrogen or at the longer distance synthetic fuels or ammonia or biofuels running through existing engines which would enable a zero carbon uh, shipping system now we do think that it's likely, not certain, but likely, that the long-distance international shipping, those alternative fuels, will be more expensive. And I think we need to be honest about that. But when you run through the numbers to the end consumer level, the impact of that on the cost of a pair of jeans, a kilo of sugar, or even more so, an Apple iPhone, is, is very, very, very small. So this is not a problem for the global economy to absorb. I think the challenge for the industry is to say we would like to become zero carbon. Yes, our customers will have to accept that there are somewhat higher shipping rates, uh, uh, freight rates introduced uh, gradually over time. But I think that's doable. I mean, if you actually look at the year by year variation in the cost of shipping fuel and freight rates, they vary all over the place. I mean, this is an industry which is absolutely used to uh, driving through to its customers very significant increases in freight rates. So I don't think we should be worried that the long-term path here will mean somewhat more expensive shipping, and I don't think that's a threat to the profitability of an individual shipping company as long as the whole industry has to move in lockstep. 
entirely understood, and you make a very compelling argument, uh, but you are talking at a very macro level. Yep. Mr. Grimaldi, you run said shipping company. I saw your eyes uh, make a funny shape when uh, we were talking about a 100% increase in freight rates uh, in order to fund this. Uh, uh, what's your view in terms of you know how we get there? You're obviously pushing and, and advocating for more efficiency, but what's your understanding of how well, we should do this? First of all, I want to say that we are working very hard at company level, at association level, to make improvements and to have better trucks. Said this, I am a little bit uh, concerned about the uh, uh, extra cost, if this cost will be there, and particularly for the possible perversive model shift back to road. I think we have been working very hard, especially in Europe, uh, in short sea shipping, in taking away a lot of cargo from the road onto the sea mm. with very good uh, results. I think it has been proved by many studies that uh, we can reduce of over 50% the emissions that we have ongoing by road, by ship. And of course, with cleaner ships, we will have even a better result. If the cost of uh, transporting goods uh, will increase so substantially, of course, this uh, might have a, a negative result. Mm. I mean, the, the rejoinder to that, of course, is, uh, you know, we're not talking about an individual company, as you say, uh, Lord Well, I, I think the rejoinder to that is, I think if you look at where the vast majority of shipping freight ton kilometres are and emissions, they're not on the coastal areas mm. where there's a trade-off with road. They are, you know, Pearl River Delta through to Rotterdam. They are M Middle East through to Europe with oil. They are, you know, Brazilian iron ore, uh, you know, around the world. And that can't move to road. I mean, it's just not, not credible that that would move to road. There might be a small shift of some of the China to Europe freight might move to rail, but I think in future that's going to be electric in mm. any case. So I think that the, the modal shift one is a relatively small challenge, and I actually think on the shorter distance coastal shipping, that's where I think we're less likely to see an additional cost, because on the shorter distance coastal shipping, I think there really is a possibility of electric traction, uh, battery electric, hydrogen, which may be just as cheap as, as the fossil fuels. I think where we see that it's likely that there will be a net cost really is on the long distance ones. Mm. And, and for that, I can't see a serious danger of a modal shift. And Brian, this is something that we've spoken about before on this podcast, but mm. I mean, in terms of uh, where the industry is and how we get there, what, what's your view in terms of this debate? Uh, well, I'm, it's, I'm, it's clear to me that we're going to have different solutions that fit different vessel types and different different routes. Mm. And I, I think I would agree that on the short for the short sea vessel routes, where you've got known routes that you're, you're plying regularly, um, I think in, certainly in, in your country, in Italy, and, and in that Mediterranean region, yep. Yep. we're going to see a huge, huge increase in solar electricity production. Yep. Now, the thing about yep. solar is that there's a diminishing law of returns, because the more solar you put in, you get more higher peaks in 
the times of the day. And that will give you potential curtailment of electricity production. Now, nobody wants to throw electricity away when you could be converting it and using it as a fuel to run your ships. So this is what's happened in Scotland, where we've seen an excess of wind capacity. Suddenly, they're realizing this is free fuel. We're being, we, we can take this, turn it into hydrogen, and run our ferries from it. So I'm hugely excited about that, yep. that development, especially in Europe, especially in the Mediterranean. Um, I think that the long-distance vessels are the big challenge, but there, then it correlates with a capacity to pay. Those consumers can't shift to other. There's no way of moving those containers any other way, and therefore, you, if you can isolate those able-to-pay parts of the sector and have them, you know, more uh, are paying more towards the solutions, you can then make sure that the the net effect of the added cost is actually a progressive and, and able to, you know, be applied to places can afford it. Mm. So that's what we've seen happen in other parts of the, of the world uh, where we've seen similar energy transitions underway. You, you load the cost onto those who are capable mm. of paying and, and, and quite frankly, uh, you know, this is a sector that enjoys tax-free propulsion at the moment and it, it's been part of that, you know, it's, uh, we know why, but there, there is a movement now, I think, to just internalise a small price mm. uh, for the greenhouse gas emissions that will then unlock this big investment into, into a much more diverse energy system. And the point that you make, and we had uh, Secretary General of the IMO, Kitag Lim, on, on the panel before us, the point you make is that the one advantage shipping has is that we have the IMO, we have an yep. international yep. regulator. It is a, a real advantage yep. starting to, to change an in international yep. industry. But, of course, to your point, Lawson, we're talking about um, a level playing field and, and, and a regulatory approach that would uh, insist on all companies doing the same thing at the same time. That is notoriously difficult, even it, it, with the IMO. Look, it is very difficult. I mean, my commission, the Energy Transition Commission, is is sort of addressing this issue by starting from what we need to do and defining whether that's technologically and economically possible and saying, well, if it's technologically and economically possible and we need to do it, we've got to find a way through. Now, the IMO does have the ability to regulate the design of new ships and to make sure that they're more efficient. Uh, I think the IMO does have the capability in future of d demanding that there is a mix of fuel being used by people and that that is slowly shifting towards uh, zero carbon forms. It's not straightforward. I mean, you know, we know that with both shipping and aviation, we have a very complex international coordination problem that we don't have with trucking or autos. They, they can be driven down a route which is essentially uh, local or national. So I, I think we've just got to address this issue and, and, and work out how we get from, uh, from A to B confident that it's technologically possible. And, and I think Bryony's points are, are really interesting ones about these local conditions. I mean there is unbelievable amounts of solar energy in northern Africa which could d deliver incredibly cheap hydrogen uh, and ammonia, uh, you know, r r round the coast of, of the Mediterranean, and, and that might be a very attractive thing to do. Mr. Grimaldi, I mean, listening uh, to the debate, uh, listening to all the comments this morning, do you think this is uh, a message that you can sell through the ICS, through the International Chamber? Um, well, you heard, you know, various people talk about the uh, the requirement of shipping industry representation really engaging at a political level, uh, your association with the ICS and, and, and as a prominent member of the shipping community, you're, you're kind of key really in sort of um, uh, getting everybody to coalesce around this topic. Do you think it's possible? I think that uh, more and more you can see that uh, almost all the ship owner organization, national ship owner organization, yeah. 
and uh, the international shipping organization are uh, got the message very clear and uh, we are moving as fast as the technology is developing mm. and uh, also the fact that the technology is developing also for us it's extremely important that it becomes more viable from an economical point yeah. of view and this is happening you know since I, today I have on some of my ships I think the biggest electrical power in the world uh, I have two ships that have o over five megawatt when I order those megawatt uh, to today the cost has been uh, already uh, halved and I think that we can get even better price in the, uh, in the coming months. And very soon we will have 14 vessel hybrid with uh, um, very strong electrical power on board that will at least have zero emission in port. Because, and that is already a big achievement because it's not only a question of where <laughs> how much do you emit, but also where you emit. Yeah. And of course, in busy towns, it's very important to have this zero emission. So we are moving as quick as possible, but I think that we have to push also the technological development. And I think that that, that unfortunately, doesn't depend so much from the ship owner. We can, because we are using those technologies, but we are not producing those technologies. But that is where the IMO, I think, can really help because um, they, you know, if you look at how they've dealt with sulphur, they put in a standard that needed to be met and then allowed a number of routes to be developed. But it's the setting of the standard that drives the innovation. And I think we can do that again with greenhouse gases. And I think we can make sure that we recycle revenues into allow not just R&D in the lab, but deployment on, on, on the seas. Because if you look at what happened in, for example, electricity uh, with offshore wind, it was only really when we started building these things that we started to see the costs really coming down as the engineering caught up and yeah. we, we, we made it more efficient and more effective. So getting things out on the water with the help of, a, of some kind of policy that creates the incentives um, to level out the, the commercial playing field, that's the next challenge for the IMO. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's well set to deliver that and it's, it's going to be, I think, ushering in this fourth uh, propul revolution propulsion, uh, which you know, the shipping sector will be more than capable of rising to that challenge. Wonderful. Thank you all very much for joining the Lois List podcast. Thank you very Thank much. You. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you.